Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. This special edition, which is sponsored by Schroders, will examine the outlook for UK equities. It's been a turbulent few years for the UK with Brexit negotiations, which dragged on for month after month, and then the coronavirus pandemic, which locked down the UK economy. So what does the future look like for UK equities? Is there any truth to the common caricature that the UK has far too many big financials and not enough tech startups? And what impact could inflation have if it returns? With me to help answer these questions are Paul Lammercraft, Senior Investment Director at Schroeders, Peter Furley, Head of Global Equities at Sanlam, and Louise Kernahan, Portfolio Manager for UK Equities at BNY Mellon. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi, Hi. good afternoon. So, Paul, we'll, we'll start with you, if, if I may. Um, the world is uh, changing rapidly, but the image of the UK equity market is of a wasteland that is full of companies likely to lose out from these changes. What, what are the opportunities in the, in the domestic market? So, good afternoon, first of all. I think the, there's plenty of opportunities in the domestic market. I mean, we've recently launched the Schroeder British Opportunities Trust uh, back in December 2020, and that is really focused on identifying some of the small mid-cap public companies that, that exist in the, in the public markets in the UK, um, but is also focused on investing into some private UK um, opportunities. So there's a blended approach to what we're looking to invest into. And we see some fantastic opportunities in terms of earlier stage growth companies, but also established companies that have got an opportunity to, to continue to expand and grow and, and seize upon the opportunity that now presents itself with with some more clarity coming through from some of the issues we faced recently in terms of, of Brexit and of COVID. So we're, we're looking very positive about the domestic market now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Peter, I suppose you take a, a very global view. Um, a lot of the um, caricatures of, of the UK market is that it's full of you know big financials, maybe not as many of the sort of the tech startups that you might get elsewhere. Uh, what's your view? Yeah, I mean, traditionally we've um, been global. We have focused on those sort of multinational businesses. Uh, I mean, it's interesting over time how companies like uh, Intertech, etc., which is um, you know not not a name that you see that often amongst um, UK fund managers, in my opinion. And you and you look at those businesses, and they really compete on the global stage. Uh, you know, you don't have to own just the Azures, the Unilevers of the world. There are some very interesting businesses with, uh, you know, dominating industries um, along with some of the competitors like SGS and uh, Bureau Veritas in, in France. And, and these businesses um, are great businesses to own for the long term because they, they're very um, slow growth businesses, stable growth businesses, but they do perform much better than um, the ups and downs of some of the oil names and the, and the financial names that we have historically avoided. There are times, of course, when you know when sterling was back at one fifteen against the dollar back in March last year. That then the opportunities become very compelling in domestic UK names. But again, I think you've got to be selective. We typically wait for those multinational to offer great value, and then we'll just buy of more what we've traditionally owned, um, which includes the likes of Diageo and Unilever. Mm-hmm. And, and Louise, what about you? How do you view the the UK uh, equity market at the moment? 
Uh, well, absolutely. I agree that there are plenty of opportunities in the UK market at the moment to take advantage of our rapidly changing world. Um, I've been investing in the UK equity market for 15 years now and um, have certainly never found any shortages of ideas. It's true, uh, you know, when you look at the market as a whole, over uh, 25% of the FTSE All Share benchmark is in commodities, banks and tobacco stocks, which, as you point out, are industries uh, sort of seen as legacy uh, with their individual structural challenges. But um, uh, at risk of stating the obvious, the FTSE 350 has 350 companies in. Um, and so no one dictates to you that you have to have you know that amount of your uh, assets in the legacy industries. In fact, there's uh, plenty of companies uh, in sectors um, that are dialed into you know, the increasing demand for healthcare. Uh, increasing digitization in the world, uh, you know, all these these trends which are set for the long term. And I mean, an industry I would point out would be uh, the pharmaceutical sector, where two of the large companies in our in our benchmark uh, are at the forefront of science. And um, as you move further down the benchmark, we have uh, all sorts of uh, companies. And it's, I think, no coincidence that it's the UK has been one of the first countries to deliver a, a, a global COVID vaccine. Um, we're home to leading science and there's a lot of innovation happening here. So I think for uh, an investor in UK market, I think um, you have to remember that there's a difference between yeah, investing in the benchmark and investing in the companies that you want to be invested in. Mm-hmm. And, and Louise, just to stay with you uh, for this next question, how, how do you see the UK market for small and mid caps? Again, as as I mentioned, I think it's often the caricature is often that it's just big companies that you come to the UK for. Yeah, I mean, we do have big companies uh, and you know some of those are fantastic. Some of those maybe have their challenges, um, but we have a really, really interesting mid-cap space. And I think what's interesting about mid-caps is that they are well-established enough that they often have uh, you know, a leading position in the niche that they're in. So, you know, they're not necessarily high risk, as you might associate with smaller smaller companies, but they're still small enough that they've got a really large runway of growth ahead of them with scope to, you know, double or triple um, in the future to become the large caps of the future. Um, the other point I suppose to make about mid caps as well is that often they are more domestically exposed. I mean, not always, but sometimes. And they can be in really interesting sectors. Uh, so one example would be the house building sector uh, where there remains a structural shortage of housing in the UK and so those businesses are really well set to benefit in the long term from that. Mm-hmm. And Paul what about you how do you uh, view the the opportunities available in the UK small and mid-cap space? Yeah I think I'm probably going to be telling a consistent story I think there's, there's absolutely opportunities there I mean we've been looking um, at some of the more um, clean tech type um, opportunities and seeing some of the battery technology businesses that are um, making good progress in the UK. Um, and we're also looking at some of the other technology related businesses in such things as gaming. So there's there's a, a vast array of, of um, opportunities for sure. Um, but I think it's it's a matter of delving into those opportunities individually and, and picking the ones that have the greatest opportunity longer term, both within the UK, that, but then beyond these shores as well. So um, I think consistent messages that there's, there's clear opportunities here. Mm-hmm. And Peter, from a from a global perspective, how do you how does the UK's small and, and mid cap market compare? Um, is it the life with opportunities as as, as any others? Um, so we typically don't don't go down the mid and small cap uh, side of our our business in, in the UK. We we tend to focus on on mid and large cap global. But what is interesting is we 
through our the work we do with our UK team, we um, you know some of the guest speakers they mentioned uh, house build. We've we've had great success with Taylor Wimpy, for instance, since we invested in that for our Sharia global equity product back in October. So you do get these pockets uh, of extreme valuation upside when when things uh, go wrong or when the market uh, outside of the UK drives these sort of businesses to levels which are very compelling. I mean, Taylor Wimpy's been through some tough times, but most of the times it exhibits very good quality characteristics. That's what we look for in businesses. So we'll be highly selective from a global point of view, because um, as Louise also points out, even though AstraZeneca, for instance, as a big constituent, uh, is at the forefront of some some of the science uh, around the industry, we, we also invest in companies like Novartis and, and Roche uh, in, in Switzerland. So we have a, a choice globally, but certainly the UK from time to time do have these gems that come up. And that's when the UK is very much out of favour as it was uh, a year ago, and 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 as, uh, and as long ago, not not as recently as, as October. Mm-hmm. And, and Peter, if we just stay with you uh, for the moment, um, I suppose we can't really do a, a podcast on UK equities without discussing Brexit uh, at least a little bit. Um, how has the um, uh, the political turbulence of, of the past year or two uh, changed the investment opportunities uh, available in the UK market? Do you think? Yeah, I think I want to take it back all the way to that infamous, uh, what was it, the 24th of June, around that area of 16. I mean, what we saw is we, we saw as global investors a very, very big panic into your so-called weak uh, sterling beneficiaries. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, at the time we were selling heavily names like British American Tobacco because we just thought that these stocks, uh, along with uh, you know trimming the likes of Diageo, it, it became obvious that... Uh, there's a big rush into those names, but but suddenly you found six or seven months later that um, they eventually got dragged down as well with Brexit fears to the point where late 16 uh, names like Unilever and the Adria became very compelling again. So I think the UK is a very interesting market from a local and a global perspective because they do, this market do tends to trade often on news flow. I and mean, if you now look back, at the massive opportunity in some of these oil companies, which we typically don't invest in. Um, you, you, you could probably argue, I've had a look today, BP is up 82% from the end of October. So it is a market where active management can can really uh, harness your returns over time if you are at, at the right time contra uh, to, to the prevailing um, sort of news flow of the day. Mm-hmm. Louise, what about you? How have how do, have you felt that the the last few years of uh, ups and downs have affected the the way that you've managed your portfolio? Yeah, I mean it's certainly been an interesting time. But I I usually uh, well and still do go by the mantra of the greater the uncertainty, the greater greater the opportunity. Um, you know, you see the biggest price dislocations when um, there's that fear of the unknown there, and it's fair to say that Brexit certainly provided fantastic opportunity to invest in particularly UK domestic businesses with you know really good prospects but uh, that were being shunned by markets. I think uh, what's interesting now is 
Or you could say, well, the political uncertainties declined, um, you know, the, the bulk of Brexit uncertainties behind us. So does that greater certainty mean that the scale of investment opportunity is now lower? Um, and to that, the question, well, the answer to that question is actually no, um, because uh, we now have plenty of new uncertainty to replace Brexit. So now, now the, yeah, the conversation moves on to other topics, namely, of course, the recovery um, from the pandemic. So... Yeah, I think uh, looking at the UK market as a whole, we've still not recovered. I think sentiment has become more positive, but uh, I think we're still at the beginning of that. And I think, um, yeah, there's both opportunities within UK markets, given the dislocation. And I think there's opportunity for the UK market as a whole, um, just given the you know the perception externally. Mm. I suppose they say the only certainties are death and taxes, don't, don't they? Um, Paul, uh, what about you? How, how do you feel that um, the last few years have affected the opportunities uh, for, for investors in the UK? Yeah, I mean, it's, been, it's been a relatively tricky period where we've been having to delve into the real specifics of each individual asset that we're looking at. I mean, for the last four years, we've obviously been asking about the, the Brexit impact on any investment that we make, and we've been trying to, to judge those. Uh, I think it's true that now we have more certainty around that particular situation or that particular event, uh, but we still don't have perfect certainty or, or per- perfect vision. Um, and there's still a lot that needs to needs to be found out over the course of 2021 as as businesses um, adapt to this new regime and the new protocols and requirements. So there's still a degree of uncertainty out there, which I agree does create opportunity. Um, and, and those are absolutely what we're looking to try and seize upon at the moment. Um, where we think we can identify some really strong um, potential opportunities. But that said, Brexit being only one of the, the issues that we currently face. So uh, as we switch through the, the Brexit situation and now focus more on coming out of the COVID situation, um, again, more opportunities will present themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paul, to stay with you um, for this next one, the um, there's a lot of speculation that we're about to enter a period of higher inflation. Uh, do you think that this is going to be a, a good or a bad thing for UK equities? Yeah, it's interesting, the, the debate, and there's also been a, a number of um, concerns or flags around this that we picked up recently in, in the US market in terms of the, the tech, tech sphere um, has felt the pain here to some degree. Um, my view really is that this is going to be a, more of a short-term issue. Um, I think we have plenty of capacity still within the economy. Um, so I can't see inflation being um, a permanent issue at this point in time. I think we'll see a, a temporary blip, but then I think there's going to be more time before before it becomes a significant issue for us. Hmm. And Peter, do you think that there's likely to be a period of long-term inflation uh, that we're about to enter into? And if so, uh, is that going to be a positive or a negative thing for UK equities compared to uh, uh, other regions? I'm not a bond expert, David, but I, I do believe that you know at, at this stage of the cycle, in my opinion, it's the, the increased bond yields are a function of the economy recovering. So that's clearly going to be good news for cyclicals. Um, I mean, we've we have tilted our portfolio towards quality cyclicals, travel-related stocks in the UK, intercontinental hotels have done really well for us. Very happy about that. Although, you know, I also believe that a lot of good news has been priced um, uh, onto the back of these uh, high yields. Now, we haven't benefited from banks. We historically stay away from banks. If 
the world is that simple that that a higher bond yield environment is 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 categorically good news for banks. I think there's going to be some payback at some point for that sector in terms of bad debts. You know, I look at the bond market more to, to look at what the credit market's doing. Spreads are very narrow. I, I, I get very nervous when I see these sort of things. So I think from our perspective, we're happy to miss out on obvious beneficiaries of higher bond yields like banks on the on the basis that we want to avoid uh, accidents if you have to expose yourself to more cyclical businesses. Mm-hmm. And Louise, when you um, hear people... Um, discussing the potential for uh, inflation to go up does that uh, uh, you rubbing your hands with glee or uh, uh, tearing your hair out a little bit from uh, from the point of view of a uk equities manager uh, well neither uh, at the moment anyway i mean uh, there've been many false dawns for inflation over the years uh, where it's risen only to fall back down again and um, you know, I think it's clear to see that the inflation figures will pick up as we go through this year, clearly because of the base effect from last year. Um, but, yeah, do we really think that now sustained inflation is here to stay? I I mean, it's, it, it's, it's possible. Of course it is with the amount of stimulus going in. But I think there's um, enough slack in the system uh, that, you know, there's enough deflationary pressures that I think will keep it under control. But it's kind of interesting uh, as us equity investors uh, you know we, we like to focus on the businesses themselves um, and you know situations like this we're um, uh, you know forced into talking about um, these macro issues which are ultimately really difficult to predict um, just when you think that you've got a scenario you think likely something else comes along that changes that so um, I think really key is to is to invest in a sort of a sensibly diversified way. Make sure that you've got businesses in your portfolio that have pricing power and that are relatively defensive, so that they could, you know, pass that uh, any inflationary pricing through, but yet still have good demand. Um, and the UK equities market as a whole, um, you know, I think there's plenty of businesses in there, there that you can invest in to be inflation protected. If that's um, the scenario that looks like it will play out, but um, yeah, as I said sitting here today it doesn't look like a scenario where we're going to see you know high inflation uh, into the midterm mm-hmm. and louise do you think that there's um much of an impact that bond yields have on, on the future of different parts of the of the uk equity market do you think there's much of an interplay there if so what yeah i mean um, the bond yields have absolutely mattered <laughs> recently. Uh, we've seen a really significant impact so far this year with the rising bond yields causing um, uh, you know, a large rotation away from those longer term growth, secular growth stocks into uh, more value stocks. And in fact, I saw um, a piece today that showed that year to date has seen the biggest divergence in relative performance between so-called growth and value stocks uh, since we've seen in the market since 2001. So you know, it's clear that bond yields matter. And again, for us equity investors, us in the situation of trying to gauge future movements of the bond markets, which isn't easy and could probably fill another whole podcast on its own. Um, so, uh, I mean, there's just so many variables. You've got the action, actions of central banks, you've got the pace of recovery. That's, you know, in good part dependent on how the virus responds to a vaccine. Nobody knows that yet. You've got the abilities of governments to smoothly withdraw stimulus. Uh, without negatively impacting the recovery, You've got uh, you know the extent to which inflation takes hold. I mean, there's just so many different variables to take into account. So, what do I think um, 
in terms of impact on the UK equity market, um, you know, I think there's a good chance that this rotation has more to go um, in terms of more rotation from the growth stocks into the more value end of the market in the short term. Um, and, you know, invariably due to how markets work, it will overshoot and there'll be corrections. But does this mean, uh, I think, that we should avoid, you know, these higher growth stocks? Uh, well, for uh, myself as a long-term investor, the answer is no, um, because ultimately long-term themes are much more enduring and they're much more certain than these short-term economic fluctuations. So if you think about the fact that, you know, the number of over 65s in the world is going to expect it to double by 2050 and all the healthcare ramifications of that, you know, the huge investments going in to tackle climate change, um, all, you know, there's, I mean, multiple, multiple long-term trends where if you have a horizon over a year, um, I think will have much more impact on the success of your equity investment. And, you know, UK equity markets, the valuations haven't got as, as frothy as um, other markets. So uh, you don't even have to pay as high valuation multiples for those businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and Paul, what, uh, what's your opinion on the um, relationship between bond yields and um, the UK equity market and whether that's a positive or a negative? Yeah, I, guess, I mean, my background is obviously private equity, so I, I guess I am not an expert on, on the direct links there. But my view and the approach that we take is obviously we're looking to invest into businesses over a, a five to ten year view. Um, so where we, we have some views about inflation, we have bond yields moving around. Um, actually, that, that can be distracting from our perspective, from a private equity perspective, because we're really looking to be investing into high quality businesses that we think are going to really deliver over the over the five to 10 years. So that remains the fundamental focus of what we, we want to concentrate on. Um, but also bearing in mind some of what's going on, gyrations in the market that may happen on a more short term basis. Um, we, we try not to get too distracted by that. Mm-hmm. And Peter, what about you? Yeah, so from, from our perspective, um, if, the, if the question is whether you know, very long-term inflation trends worry us, um, I mean, it's I think Louise mentioned it, that you know we're looking for those businesses with, with pricing power. I mean, the, the jury is out at the moment. Uh, if you look, for instance, at consumer staples, the, the market saying, well, they're going to struggle to, to pass some of those costs through to their uh, end customers. But I, th- I think over time they will evolve as well. And, uh, you know, great businesses tend to, to stay great businesses for the long term. So I, I agree with Louise that I'm, I'm a long term investor. And um, if those great businesses are under pressure, they'll find a new way to to reinvent themselves. So we're going to keep uh, sticking to our same process and, and trying to look at those businesses which, in the words of Buffett, can um, have can pass that sort of Mars test. You know, will, will these businesses still be around? And and that's why we keep coming back to to the likes of uh, Diageo, Intertech, uh, even Sage. Even though Sage got short term problems, they they can evolve and they can hopefully get that uh, software as a service model right for them because they have a very loyal customer base. Um, so, you know, typically inflation is not a big problem for, for a business like Sage. They, they do pass cost increases for every year to their customer base. But then the market's not stupid. These things aren't necessarily cheap. Um, but in the long term, you know, we believe paying a premium for, for companies that have pricing power in an inflation environment is worth it. Mm-hmm. I suppose that, that that issue of companies still being around and leads uh, – to questions about the COVID recovery and uh, helping businesses out of this p- potential period of lockdown. Um, and 
I'd just be interested, uh, Peter, on your on your thoughts on if you compare um, the uh, stimulus that the US has just passed, which is historic in size, and you compare that to some of the language which is being used in the UK around the fact that we have to now pay off other pay off the bills that were racked up during the uh, the pandemic and tax. Let's talk of tax rises and this sort of stuff. Do you think that there's um, anything meaningful that can be drawn out of those? two different approaches for from the point of uh, someone who's interested in investing in UK equities? Yeah, I mean, we know that the um, tax rate's going up, um, but I think it's, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think it's only in uh, a year or two from now. So, you know, for us as equity investors, it's the, the actual corporate tax rate's very important. So when all said and done, when you saw in 2016 that, that Trump lowered the tax rate in the US, that, that had an immediate uh, benefit to, to the U.S. stocks. And I think the market was very relieved in the U.K. that uh, U.K. tax rates not not going up immediately. That is all that, that I tend to focus on because uh, like one of the other guest speakers, you know, we're not macro analysts. We, we try and analyze businesses on a, on a like-for-like basis. So I do worry about the debt, but I also don't have any particular uh, smart answers for how that's going to evolve over time. I think the bond market's telling us that perhaps we've reached that proverbial puke point where the market will start to reprice bond yields. We believe we're well protected from rising bond yields and the type of businesses we own. But I do fear that there's going to be a very long period of you know, economic hardship if we, if we measure it in terms of what, uh, you know, how quick are we going to get back to 2019 levels. Uh, as I said, a name like Intercontinental uh, we were very bullish on that stock a year ago uh, because we thought one year of decline wouldn't necessarily affect that sort of business in the long term. Having said all that, it's back at a new all-time high. The stock market's way ahead of short-term fundamentals, and that's a little bit dangerous in, in my opinion. Mm. And Louise, how do you, you reflect on those uh, potentially different approaches to this period of COVID recovery um, from the point of view of a UK equity investor? Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating um, to observe, but I think I would echo the view that a lot of it just comes down, you know, when you look at the individual stocks, it's it's really about the businesses and their response or the specific industries that they're in. Um, I think that has a greater impact than, you know, the different responses from different countries and there are just yes so many different factors at play here as well in terms of you know ex externalities like just the fact that we're pleasingly further ahead with the vaccine rollout you know that I think that will you know have an impact on on UK countries as well so um yeah it's not an sort of an easy one to answer sort of well this equals this um I think there's many more moving parts and so again it comes down to looking at the businesses and we've seen some companies that have recovery potential you know, those that were relatively hard hit due to being in travel and leisure um, industries you know they've recovered a long way now and the question is actually what are these industries going to look like because you know they're clearly clearly going to recover going to want to fly again we're going to want to go to restaurants again but we don't really know how that's going to look yet how um, much capacity they're going to be able to take um, so yeah there's still a lot of question marks around so um yeah i come back to again doing your homework on the individual stocks and having a sensibly diversified portfolio so that if things don't recover 
quite as smoothly as what the market is anticipating, well, then that's okay. Mm. Mm. And Paul, do you agree that uh, at the end of the day, it's it's all about the business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the approach we need to take is to, to really understand the fundamentals of each individual business um, and see how they can really be the masters of their own destiny and, and not be beholden to um, some of these swings and, and variations that are very difficult to predict, as, as the other speakers have suggested. There's so many different moving parts at the moment that um, to try and second guess all of them is, is very difficult. So just making sure that we're focused on the individual um, entity that we're investing into, seeing the opportunity and understanding uh, that it, it can pull its own levers is, is critical to our assessment. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Paul, uh, Louise and Peter for taking part. And thank you uh, for listening and tuning again for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.